We're going to read Genesis 11 and Acts 2 in just a minute, but I thought I maybe should start by introducing this sermon series a little bit. Um, we are, last week was Easter, and 40 days after Easter was Ascension Day when Christ went up to heaven. Ten days after that is Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus' disciples and indwelled them. So we're going to be looking ahead to Pentecost over the next few weeks. I do know it's not Pentecost today. A couple people asked me about that. It's not. Um, But also, as we look over the course of the Bible, in the New Testament, we see a lot of things that are fulfillments of promises made in the Old Testament. We see lots of things that are solutions to problems that come up in the Old Testament. So as we look forward to Pentecost, I wanted us to look back toward the Old Testament and see some ways that Pentecost is a fulfillment and a solution to things that we find in the Old Testament. And I settled on the Pentateuch. Pentateuch literally means five books, and it's the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I settled on the Pentateuch because it's those five books that define the trajectory of the rest of the Old Testament. This is God's law given to his people. And so the history books are about how that's being fulfilled. The wisdom literature is often about how to live out what's taught in the Pentateuch. And the prophetic books can be seen in large part as the prophets calling Israel and calling the nations to follow God's law given in the first five books of the Old Testament. So over the next few weeks, I'll be looking at some passages from those books and seeing how they point forward to Pentecost and how Pentecost fulfills them. So with that introduction... Let's read Genesis 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that, we may, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And then let's turn over to Acts chapter 2. This is the Pentecost passage, and I'll be reading from verses 1 to 13 of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now that we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? 
Parthians, Medes, and Eliamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. This is God's holy word for us this evening. Now, a couple of years ago, when we were living in Grand Rapids, I drove some family down to fly out of O'Hare, and we came down a day early so that we could spend some time in Chicago. And we ended up going downtown for the evening, and we had dinner in a restaurant just off of Millennium Park. And then after dinner, we stepped outside, and we were standing on the sidewalk talking about what to do next. And it was kind of a cloudy day, and as we talked, the clouds descended just a little bit by a little bit by a little bit, And as we looked up, we saw all those tall buildings around Millennium Park with their heads literally in the clouds. And so for a while, we just stood there and stared at these magnificent tall buildings that reached all the way up to the heavens. And for months after that, whenever I would talk about Chicago with the kids, and especially with David, I would tell him Chicago was the place where we saw the buildings that reached all the way up to the sky and had their heads in the clouds. And that was cool those buildings that reached to the heavens. It was amazing, and it was beautiful. Now, that sense of amazement and beauty in a place that just is tremendously attractive, well, that's what the people of Babel were aiming for. But, of course, they wanted a whole lot more than that. In verse 4 of Genesis 11, the people say to each other that they want to build a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Most of the time, when people in the ancient world would talk about a building that reached up to the heavens, they were talking specifically about religious buildings. Often, the first cities, the really ancient ones, were basically temple complexes. They were places that weren't about people living there. They were about religion, about sacrifice, about the temple, and about getting in touch with the gods. So that building at Babel was a religious move as much as anything else. It was about building a place for heaven and earth to connect so that the people could get in touch with and get some measure of control over the gods. When I preached about Jonah a few months ago, I talked about how the ancient people saw the world. And if you remember, the gods sort of existed up in heaven above the sky, and then the sky was a solid dome that rested on the tops of mountains, and then there was the earth where humanity lived, and then the sea, and then the depths of the sea, and then the foundations of the world. Well, for ancient people, mountains stood between the realm of the gods and the realm of humanity. And so often, if you wanted to meet with your god, or if you wanted to establish a temple for you to meet regularly with your god, you would go up on top of a mountain. And then you could sort of meet halfway. The god would descend a little bit, you would go up a bit, and there the human and the divine could connect. So this tower that they're talking about in Genesis 11 is probably an artificial mountain. We can't be sure of this, but the author of Genesis probably wanted us to think of ancient buildings called ziggurats when we read this passage. Now, ziggurats looked a lot like pyramids, but the idea behind them was totally different. Basically, these ziggurats were staircases between heaven and earth. These buildings were places where human beings and gods could meet in the middle. And the humans would make offerings there, and the gods would dispense blessings on their followers. Now, usually these ziggurats were built with a nice room for the god at the top, and then there'd be a temple near the bottom for the priests to do their work. And every so often, but not very often, 
the really important people would go up to the top, they'd visit the room of the God, they'd bring some offerings, and they'd make some requests. Now, in fact, in Akkadian, which is one of the ancient languages of the Middle Earth, Babel, or actually Babilu, means gate of the gods, or residence of the gods. The Tower of Babel was going to be a place where there could be a gateway to the divine. It was going to be a place where God could come and live, but it was going to be a place where God could come and live on human terms. The people of Babel were building a house where God would come and help them fulfill their plans, where the gods would be at their beck and call for whenever they needed him and for whatever they wanted. Now, we aren't so blatant in our approach to the divine, but we struggle with that same temptation. We still want to make things work out so that God will come down and bless our plans. We always want to be in charge, and we would love it if we could have a powerful deity who would be at our beck and call. Now, that's true in all areas of human life, and unfortunately, it's even true in our churches. Even in the church, we are really good at setting out to build cities and towers that will get us up to the heavens and get God under control. Now, whether we realize it or not, a lot of religious activity around the world and even in our churches is aimed at getting God to agree to our plans. Whether we're building new church buildings or putting on events or supporting causes, we're always in danger of thinking that our plans are the key to the church's success and growth and to think that God just has to get in line with what we want, and then everything will work out in the right way. But the truth of the matter is that we human beings can't really build the church successfully. Whenever we insist on building the church how we want, we end up going off the rails. We're broken people. The church and churches are broken institutions. And if you look at the history of the church, or if you look at churches around the world today, you could make a really good, empirically-based case that the church is a confused, divided, scattered mess. If we humans were really in charge of building the church, the church would be just another human city and tower reaching pointlessly up to the heavens. Returning to our text, in verse 5 of Genesis 11, God does come down to see the city and tower that those people at Babel were building. In one way, the people at Babel got exactly what they wanted. They built their tower, and God came down. So the Lord comes down, and he sees the people of Babel working away at their building project. But then he looks, well, he looks down the trajectory of what that building project is going to mean, and he sees what the product is. God looks where Babel is going and he sees all the sin and the evil and the suffering and all the terrible things that will happen if he lets those people continue to have their own way. So God makes his own plans. And come, says God in a voice of thunder. And he says, let's confuse their languages so that they won't understand each other. And the people are confused and they are scattered over the whole earth. And then the place is called Babel because that's where God confused the languages of the people. In Akkadian, Babilu meant gate of the gods or residence of the gods. But in Hebrew, Babel means confusion. The people of Babel had set out to build a gateway up to heaven. They were going to forge a connection between the heavens and the earth that would let them be in control of the heavens and the earth. But God undid their plans. He came down and he confused and scattered the people so there would be no city and no tower. And so the story of Babel ends on a down note. 
God has come down in judgment. The people have been divided and scattered. There is no city. There is no tower. There is no place for the people to come and live with God and with each other. This story of Babel leaves us with a number of problems. And I want to spend the rest of our time this evening looking at at how Pentecost and the rest of the Bible story resolves those problems. So tonight I'm going to start by talking about God coming down. In a while I'll talk a bit about God bringing people together. And then I'll close by looking toward God building a new city. So first God comes down. In the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, God comes down and it turns out that he brings confusion and scattering. But if we follow that theme of God coming down through the rest of the Bible, we see God coming down in all kinds of gracious ways, and most especially in God coming down in Jesus. But tonight we're going to focus on Pentecost. And Acts 2 tells us that when the day of Pentecost came, the disciples were all together, and then there's this roaring of wind, and something comes down from heaven, and it seems like these tongues of fire come down and descend on the disciples, and then they're all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in other tongues. At Babel, God came down in judgment, and he confused people and scattered them over the face of the earth. At Pentecost, God comes down in grace, and he fills people with his Holy Spirit. The story of Babel can feel like God came down. He looked at what humans were doing. He threw some lightning and thunder around, and then he left. And he went back to heaven, and he left humanity confused, scattered, and alone. But in the story of Pentecost, God comes down in wind and fire, but then he fills believers with his Holy Spirit. Ever since that time, and even up to today, God's people have that same Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost, he stuck around. The Lord has come down, and he lives in us even today. Now that means, on the one hand, if you're a believer, God is with you always. The Holy Spirit is living with you and in you. So no matter what you go through, God has come down, and he is with you. This also means that each of us has the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God calls us to do. Speaking in tongues is not something we're very into in our tradition, but the New Testament tells us that the Holy Spirit comes down with gifts and with tasks for all of God's people. If you belong to God, God has called you and God has equipped you to do, your, do His work. So what is God calling you today? What is God challenging you to do? He has come down and He has given you His work to do together with His Spirit. Second, at Pentecost, God gathers his people together. At Babel, God confused the languages of the people. And the word that Genesis uses there for language is literally tongues. At Babel, God confused the people's tongues and they couldn't get along anymore. But at Pentecost, God sent down new tongues of fire. He sent down the Holy Spirit and these tongues of fire enabled the disciples to speak other languages. And when that happened, all the nations of the earth that had been scattered came back together, and each person in that crowd heard their own language being spoken. And what that meant, what that coming together, what that gathering of all of the nations and having a common hearing of God's word meant is that God is drawing all his people together in his Son and his Spirit. The fiery tongues of Babel solved the the fiery tongues of Pentecost solve the problem of the babbling tongues at Babel. 
God doesn't eliminate the diversity of peoples at Pentecost. He doesn't get rid of all the languages, but he provides for a common hearing of his word and of the gospel. People come as they are to Christ, but they can now hear and follow the word of God. They can hear the good news that God has come down and that the Lord is drawing all his people back to him. Pentecost undoes Babel. And in the end, it is God who builds his church. Before we do anything with it, before we're off building our cities and our towers, the church is a gift to us from God. God has been drawing his people together from the beginning, and he will keep his people together from the end, or till the end. And this means a couple things for us this evening. First, it means that we can relax a bit. God doesn't need us to build a new Babel for him to come and live with us. God does not need us to make sure that his plans happen. So yes, we work hard in the church. Yes, we work to build believers up. Yes, we work to build, bring people in. But yes, we also let go of control of that. We trust that God has a good plan, that God will work his plan out, and that we don't need to be building cities and towers to make sure that God will live with us. But second, we need to recognize that God draws people into his church who aren't like us and who we don't always like. There are and there always will be people in the church who we don't understand and sometimes even who we don't know how to get along with. At Pentecost, God gathered all kinds of people into his church and he's still doing that today. If we think about the church around the world, there are people who have a different skin color than we do, who speak different languages, and who live and think in ways that we can hardly understand. But they are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and God has brought us together with them. And even if we think in this church, there are probably people in this church who you don't always agree with, who you don't always understand, and who you don't always like. But God has made his people one. He has gathered us together in his word and his spirit, so we have a Christian duty to be one. This is a great gift that God has given us, but it's also a great responsibility that we bear to express that unity. I had a seminary professor who used to like to talk about the church as the ark. Being outside the ark isn't fun at all, but being inside the ark has its own problems. Sometimes it's stinky in there, You don't necessarily get along with the people, but you can't get a break from them. There's all kinds of ups and downs as the flood rises and the waters of life come. But just like being in the ark was the best place to be, being inside the church is the best place to be. Just like you can expect that Noah's family got kind of frustrated being around and on top of each other all the time, sometimes we can get kind of frustrated with each other other in the church. But these people around us here and now are the best people for us to be around because God has brought us together in this time and this place for his glory and for our salvation. So we can rest in the church as God's gift to us. We can rejoice that God has drawn together all the scattered, divided people of the world. But we also have work to do to express the unity that God has brought about through his word and his spirit. Finally, for tonight, God builds a new city. For my last and for my very brief point this evening, I want to take us past Pentecost and look all the way to the end of time. We began by reading about the city city and tower of Babel, about humanity's great building project. 
And I want to end this evening by reading about God's great building project. So we'll end by reading from Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Human construction efforts, whether it's at the Tower of Babel or in our lives now, will always end in confusion, division, and scattering. But when the Lord works out his plans, he comes down and he graciously takes care of us. The Lord comes down and he draws his people together and to himself. And at the end of time, the Lord will provide a new, greater city where we can live with him forever. In that new city, God will be our Lord, we will be his people, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things will have passed away.